0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders. At Boss Builders, our mission is to create the next generation of great bosses. We do this through a variety of training programs, which include our 13-month live masterclass, The Art of Being a Great Boss. This program provides the basic building blocks for being an effective lead, supervisor, or manager. We also have a 13-month live virtual masterclass, The Art of Being a Great Teammate, In this program, we work with individual contributors, building the people and technical skills that will make them more effective. Many of these modules refer to the work in our management program so all employees can be on the same page. A new program for this year is our Art of Being an Administrative Superstar. Your admin staff is the backbone of your organization. This program gives them the important problem-solving and decision-making tools which will absolutely increase their effectiveness. We offer a number of one-hour short topic seminars as well, and these are perfect for in-service training and brown bag lunches. Finally, we offer the opportunity to license all of our materials so your in-house trainers can deliver our programs. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or call us at 931-221-2988. Well, I think we can all agree that the world of work has shifted radically since 2020. Now, it's hard to believe here in 2023 that the big shifts of early 2020, which were well dated here. This is uh, February the 21st of 2023. So to date this, February 28th, 2020 was the last road trip that I came back from. And then COVID hit and I didn't go into an airport for at least another year or so, even longer than that, I guess. But that was just my reality. For most people, the world of work shifted and hasn't really shifted that much back. We are battling between return to work, hybrid, virtual, plus the amount of people who've relocated. And as of today, there's quite a bit of chaos. And of course, there is still COVID. In fact, ironically, dating this right now, I actually have COVID. And so here I am uh, giving the intro to our podcast, which we recorded back in September This has given me a little time to get caught up on old projects. And so I really wish I'd done this one earlier. As I edited it, I realized what a goldmine of information that we have. Michelle K. Johnston is the author of The Seismic Shift in Leadership. Now, Michelle is an executive coach, and she went through her own metamorphosis of realizing that the old way of authoritarian leadership just wasn't cutting it anymore. And so she has the premise that connection is the way to do it. And that's connection with yourself, connection with your team, and then connection with your organization. So very different than we might think of traditional authoritarian leadership. Michelle has some great uh, thoughts for us. Her personal journey is interesting too. In fact, even for those of you thinking about writing a book to hear her inspiration and what she went through, that's valuable. This is a great interview. Again, I apologize for not getting it out sooner to all of you and of course to Michelle, but I think it's worth the wait. So let's quit talking about Michelle. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal item's tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway.
1: Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe.
0: Michelle Johnson, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Mac. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad that we could get together this afternoon and talk. So we're gonna actually be talking about your book and your book is entitled The Seismic Shift in Leadership. And I'm excited to hear about what that book is about. But Michelle, before we dive into the questions about the book, I was hoping you could share something about your journey with the audience. Tell us your story and what you're up to today.
2: Absolutely, so I was brought up a corporate brat, which really does impact Um, where I am today. My father was a loyal, loyal corporate employee to General Motors on the finance side. So we moved around every two years. And and growing up, we were a strong nuclear family and we ate dinner every night together. And my dad always made it fun every two years. We're like, oh, we're going to Detroit. We're going to New York. We're going (laughs) to Memphis, Nashville, Tampa, you name it. I seem to have lived there. And it was really fun. I just I enjoyed getting to know different people, getting to know different cultures and learning kind of the skills, right, of initiating and making friends. And so there are obviously trade-offs in life and good sides and bad sides to every situation. And what I found is then when I was in my 20s and I was starting to work, I I was really good at fitting in. But I didn't really know necessarily who I was. I just was really good at fitting in. So as as a result of, of hearing all of my dad's stories, he was an incredible leader. And um, that really prompted me to stay in graduate school forever. My entire 20s, I was in graduate school. And so I emerged with a PhD in communication from LSU and um, got an offer to work for a consulting firm here in New Orleans, which is how I landed in New Orleans, Louisiana, because that was not a part of my, my journey growing up. And
0: you don't seem like you have much of an accent. So yeah, that tells yeah, me. you right, might be transplanted. Right.
2: Right, right, right. I that was yeah, we had never lived here but I did, you know, I was recruited here. And so while I was here, A, I fell in love with the city and I ended up dedicating my book to the city of New Orleans, where you don't have to be perfect. It was the only place I had lived where I didn't feel like I had to fit in because there wasn't really anything to fit into, if that makes sense. It was (laughs) such an original city with so many characters and this joie de vivre and um, people just like to celebrate and like to celebrate individuality so i had no idea when i accepted this position with this consulting firm that new orleans would be the backdrop of my research and and then i ended up becoming i got an offer for a full-time teaching position at loyola and fell in love with the students so fast forward years later i lift my head up and i wanted to be an executive coach after all of my consulting experience and teaching experience and that's the first time when I started to see what I now call the seismic shift in leadership.
0: Okay. So I have no clue what the seismic shift is. And, and while I am happy to buy your book, I was hoping you could kind of give us the <laughs> secret because if it's seismic, that suggests it's a major deal, right?
2: It's a really major deal. And what I was seeing, Mac is that these leaders that were really good at their jobs, and they wanted to get to the next level, although some of them were struggling and I went in to help coach them. And what I was finding is that they were subscribing to that old model, what is now the old model of leadership, which is the command and control, micromanagement, into fear, fear factor, intimidation, a little bit more aggressive, more directing. And I was seeing that that had been normal and in vogue for so long that even the younger leaders would, would what I call the mask of perfection, they would just put on these masks when they would go to work each day and think that they had to they had to act like this because their mentors were like this, their bosses were like this, their coaches were like this. And I was just seeing, whoa, this had been successful, or at least I don't know if successful is the right word, but effective for so many years, that was the norm. But it was so not working anymore with the newer generation. You know, they were not loyal. They were like, what? I I want more. And this was even before the pandemic, when I came up with the idea to write the book. And what I was seeing was that the lead who were really successful in getting to the highest levels of the organization, whichever company they worked for, they were absolutely connected. And, and it wasn't just connected with their teams. But it was truly connected with themselves. They were authentic. They were not showing up wearing mask of perfection. They were really turning upside down the organizational chart, acting more like a servant leader, saying, I'm here for you, as a you know, as your leader, I'm here to help you, I'm here to develop you, I'm here to remove barriers. So it was just this shift. This real shift in orientation between coming from that that old style that was much more about the leader and the new style where it's more about connecting with your people.
0: So you've seen a lot of the former. And then was it just a, a couple of leaders that you discovered that you found this connection in them and that kind of sprung you forward in this?
2: Yes. So, right. So whenever I'm, I'm Mac, I'm so blessed because I have a great mentor and he's the number one executive coach in the world, New York Times bestselling author. His name is Marshall Goldsmith. And um, he mentored me and, and I followed his methodology to a T. So whenever I begin a coaching relationship, I begin with a 360 feedback. So the reason why I kind of I wasn't just I was on the front row observing all of these things, but I also had all of this rich data because every person that I would coach over all of these years of coaching, I would interview 10 to 15 of their key stakeholders and I would learn about what was working and I would learn about what was definitely not working. So I had all of this data of the trends. And the trends were people were saying, I want to be seen, I want to be heard, I want to be valued as a human. And boy, did that come to fruition during the pandemic. Uh, Employees have never had as much power as they do now, and they are speaking loudly. They want to be seen and heard and felt like they're a whole human being it's just a, such a, a different environment these days which i am thrilled about so yeah so back up pre-pandemic so i write this book that and, and i i figure out that it's all about connection and and once i had this this Eureka, that, whoa, it is no longer about command and control. It is all about connection. And first you have to be connected, meaningfully connected with yourself in order to show up and be able to connect with your team. Then I went and I interviewed 18 leaders from around the world to really then understand stories of connection. So I think that's why the book, a couple of reasons why I think the book is a, is an Amazon bestseller, because number one, um, I'm able, it's not just academic, um, I'm able to tell stories of people who have struggled with connection and how they recovered like myself. I, I definitely do a lot of self-disclosure. I did not come out of the womb really under, you know, really knowing how to meaningfully connect as I shared with you on my journey. I was really good at, at making friends but I really didn't know who the heck I was. So I had to do a lot of work, right? If I was gonna be a great coach and a great professor in the classroom, I had to figure out how to connect with myself to connect with others. So I started there and then I had all these great stories from these leaders. And then, drumroll, please, it is March of 2020 and I'm sending the final manuscript to be published off to the publisher and the whole world shuts down to, due to COVID and we're in lockdown. And I called my publisher, Advantage Books, and I said, I cannot publish a book on connection when the entire world the entire planet is disconnected. So they allowed me two years during the pandemic to go back and interview those leaders again to figure out how to connect in a disconnected world. And so that's the second reason why I think it's an Amazon bestseller. It's pretty timely. The message is timely.
0: Yeah, well, it's so much of that was unknown. So so I have a couple questions. First of all, the, the self-awareness then and, and connecting with yourself. How did you manage to do that?
2: Yeah, so one of my um, dear friends gave me Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, and that absolutely changed my life because she shared all of the research and her experiences figuring out that when you grow up just trying to fit in, then you never really have a sense of belonging and you haven't owned your story because you're constantly changing your story to fit in. So I realized then and there after reading and following Brene Brown and her research and her rise um, to stardom, and that I had to figure out, I had to own my journey. I had not done that. And I had to sit down and really spend a lot of time reflecting, trying to figure out who I was because I, I wanted to be successful and I showed up with this mask of perfection. I was just trying to be like, successful faculty members in the college of business and so i was suppressing my natural gifts just trying to be like everybody else you know and so i really had to figure out what are my strengths as a human being you know and what i realized mac is that i was i was suppressing you know thinking that That my high energy, which I've been told that my whole life, and again, there's there are good sides and bad sides to everything. My high energy at eight a.m. for my students is not really welcome, (laughs) but can imagine. But (laughs) but, but, you know, I was trying to pretend like I wasn't high energy, rather than saying, "Hey, I'm high energy," and that really works at two p.m. in the afternoon, or for a six p.m. you know MBA night class. And owning it, I also happen to be a pretty warm and compassionate person, and I was hiding those, and I was acting much more like a Um, military drill sergeant in the classroom, because that's what I thought it took to be successful. So I just really had to learn who I was, what my gifts were, what my strengths were, and own that and make sure that that I allowed and gave myself permission to be that person. And once I did, then my teaching evaluations improved. Then I connected with my students. Then I won faculty member of the year. It all fell in place after I spent time reflecting, owning my strengths and owning my journey.
0: So basically you succeeded by being yourself instead of fitting into everybody else's mold of what academic success would be then, right?
2: Totally, and you know, I was not um, a stereotypical academic. I was very young at the time, I was 28 years old, and um, a female, a very energetic female, you know, who had come from the consulting world. So I just didn't believe that those things would be successful in the academic world. So yes, I had to spend a lot of time really. And it took me a while, Mac. This was not like a one semester. This was years trying to understand that, that I could be something different and still be successful in academia. Yes.
0: So the people that you were, you would consider to be like in your close circle, like I guess family and maybe friends and people that you were closer with, with faculty, did any of them notice this? Did you make a big pronouncement like, hey, I'm going to be different or Uh, Did did they notice right away or how did it kind of flow? Because it sounds like you made a radical shift.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I had some really great female colleagues. Dr. Kendra Reed really helped me. Um, we were uh, research colleagues, and, and I remember one day, in, in her office, we were trying to publish an article on high-performing teams and what were the characteristics that made teams some high-performing and some, you know, low-performing. And this one article jumped out at me. It said the presence of women. I said, Kendra, look at this. I said, the presence of women, and it talked about women who actually, you know, brought their femininity to the tables. And, and it's all about diversity, right? If you think about it, it's all about diversity rather than everybody trying to look alike, act alike, sound alike. It's diversity what pays off. And so I finally started to feel comfortable saying, wow, you know, I'm going to actually wear hot pink. I never would have worn hot pink in the past. I wore all black and tailor pantsuits with reasonable heels (laughs) i mean i I just really wanted to fit in you know and then i was like you know what let's just go and yeah there were a lot of uh, my friends who were who were lovely to me but some of them it took a lot of courage to say michelle who are you you're just you're losing your voice you know you're just trying to fit in and you're you're not you're not authentic just be you yeah, I did hear that and that gave me permission those those really nice friends um so I'm, I'm very grateful to Dr. Kendra Reed and Pat O'Brien was my dean at the time. Let me just say that name again, Pat O'Brien. Our most iconic bar in the city of New Orleans is named Pat O'Brien. So I always thought it was really ironic that our College of Business dean's name was that of the local bar. But he was um, an incredible dean who just said, look, let, let's figure this out. I know you can do better. And, uh, and so he, he had some confidence in me, which was great. Did you
0: find anybody looked at the shift and said, what in the world is wrong with you <laughs> negatively? I mean, you've, you've told me that a lot of people were impressed, but did anybody think what the hell is wrong with her?
2: I'm <laughs> Sure. You know, it's interesting you ask that because if, if you asked me what was your number one fear or, or what would have kept you from publishing a book, and that was it. I was scared to death that there would be people, Brene Brown calls it, when you jump in the arena, there's always people in the stands who heckle you, mm-hmm. you know, because you're the one in the arena. I was scared to death of that, that I would finally, you know, embrace who I was as a human. And 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 find this voice and and publish this book, which is now a bestseller. And I was so scared that there'd be hecklers in the stands, but I am grateful to tell you that thus far, I have not had any haters, and I'm incredibly grateful.
0: Yeah, that is great, especially in these days where I, it seems like there's always someone that wants to throw shade on you. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I was good really for you. I yeah. was
2: really really worried. <laughs>
0: All right. So we, we've heard your journey now. And so I'd like to hear more about some of the the people that you've interviewed and talked to, and maybe some examples of what, connection looks like maybe in different industries, because it still seems a little squishy to me. I'm not quite sure how to pin it down.
2: I totally agree with you. I was uncomfortable with it, too, which is why I went and interviewed 18 leaders from around the world. I thought, what is this thing called connection? Because what we saw was the old model of leadership was much more transactional and it was much more like communication from A to B, whereas connection really takes an energy of reciprocity. I mean, it's got to be kind of this mutual give and take. That's what's different about connection. So some of the stories that I found, I'll give you an example. Larry Kloss um, is in the book, and he's the founder and owner of a company called Max Home. And he was on my podcast in the fall. And I said, Larry, tell me, how in the world did you, because he has all these awards of best culture to work at, best place to work. I said, how did you build a positive culture. He goes, well, I built a culture on happiness. I said, Larry, seriously, your culture is on happiness? He said, yeah, that is our mission. That, that is our motto. We have happiness breakfast. We have happiness forums. I said, and, and to all the listeners out there who are thinking, oh, Larry Kloss can do that with Max Home, but there's no way I could do that in my industry. I said, Larry, tell all the listeners what industry you're in. He said, construction, (laughs) I said, exactly. I said, it can be done. You just have to be intentional about it and it pays off. And, and that's what we're, that's what we're seeing. This seismic shift is a shift in let's create, particularly coming out of the pandemic, let's create work environments where people want to go to work. They want to, they want to do their very best. They want to show up. And that is an environment that is based on um, mutual, you know, reciprocity and understanding and, one of my chapters is on truly listening as a leader and other chapters on showing compassion. I have a funny story. One of my good girlfriends, um, her husband owns a big company and came up to me at a graduation party this past year. He said, Michelle, I read your book. And he did not have a smile on his face. I said, uh-oh, I'm sorry? <laughs> what am I supposed to say here? And he said, no, 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 it's really good. It was just sad because I realized I had been doing everything wrong. I said, oh, no, what do you mean? Mean? He said, because you're telling me I really need to care about my employees, right? I said, yeah, that is what is going to get the, what's really going to motivate them in this day and age is really to see them as, as full human beings and to, to get to know them on a personal level. I said, I'm not saying you've got to be anybody's therapist and you need to be friends. No, no, no. Just actually show interest in them as full humans. He said, yeah. He goes, I realized that one of my uh, leaders came into my office and he had this look on his face and he had his phone out and my first thought was what machine broke which client did we lose but no he comes up to me with his phone he goes look my son take it took his first baby steps and he said and i was so excited to see it and at the same time i thought oh my gosh, Michelle is going to insist that I remember that one of my leader's sons took his first steps next <laughs> next week when I see him again. I said, you're right. I said, it is a shift, you know, it, it's a it's a total shift. And and so it is hard, change is hard, but the payoff is huge. What I have found with, and I know what you say, like if listeners are, are listening right now thinking, what in the world do you mean by connection? I was interviewing a great leader of the kind, granola bars, K-I-N-D, Mm KIND. Yeah. And, um, and I was interviewing him, he's in my book, he's Juan Martin, he's the global president, he's European. And so- uh, yeah, he's
0: been on Shark Tank, I think.
2: And yeah, his, uh, the founder of Kind Bars is Daniel Lubetsky, ah. and he is on Shark Tank, correct, Matt?
0: Okay, I remember he the Kind sold, order, Yeah,
2: yeah he, and he sold the company to Mars. And Juan Martin was in Spain working for Mars, and they made Juan the global president of Kind. Mm. So, So when I was recently just interviewing him, saying, Juan, how in the world are you connecting now that we're coming out of the pandemic? And we were on Zoom, and he lifted up his espresso cup, and he said, Michelle, I'm a European, and he said, I love espresso. My people know that when we have a 30-minute check-in, a one-on-one, he said, we're going to spend the first 10 minutes drinking coffee together and just talking and talking about life. He goes, that is connection. And that's what it takes these days to really develop trust and psychological safety with your team, especially on zoom.
0: So what is your response to somebody that says that all sounds great. Who's got the time for 10 minutes, sipping a little tiny cup of coffee, um, to hear about your dogs or your kids or your cats. We've got a business to run.
2: Yeah, Mac, I hear that a lot. As a matter of fact, one of the regional CEOs that I coach said that to me recently, he said, Michelle, <laughs> he said, you're asking me, you're telling me that in a big team meeting and, and I'm losing, you know, 30 percent each month, um, I'm trying to turn things around. But you're saying the way to do that is to spend 10 minutes during this big meeting actually connecting. I said, yes, because here's what the research shows. I said connection drives financial performance. If you want to and I said how do you want to improve revenue by 30% if that's your goal your end of the year goal how how do your people need to do that he goes they need to innovate they need to think differently they need to move fast. I said okay well the only way that you're going to get them to innovate is to truly develop trust in your team and let them know that they can take risks sometimes they can fall and stumble and the only way you're going to establish that that team safety and environment is really working on connection. As a matter of fact, one of the leaders that I coach, he's the CEO of another region of hospitals. And he said, Michelle, I did the coolest thing that I never would have done, he said, unless I'd been working with you. He said, you were right. He said, I put my team together again, he's the CEO. He put his team together in he called it speed connecting. He said, I realized that I spent time and I know my team, but they didn't know each other except for these big four normal meetings that they show up to and they have to report numbers to me and that's not connection. He said, I had them sit in this row Facing um, facing each other, and I, I put up on our video in the conference room. It was really cold out, so I put up a video of a fire. He said, and I, I had a timer and five minutes. So each person had to spend five minutes with the other person, finding out as many things as possible that they didn't know about one another. And then the timer would go off, and then the person would move to their right, and the next person would come in. So they spent it was a ten person team, and they spent five minutes with with each person, really kind of digging deeper to get to know them. He said, and wouldn't you know, he said, after we spent an hour doing that, he said, now we actually have robust discussions where we're talking about really creative ways to explore new revenue growth. He said before, before I did that, we would sit in these formal meetings and at the very end, I'd say any questions, there would be no questions and we would disband and we weren't making any progress. So that's a really good, I hope, for your listeners, a good suggestion and and good example of how really spending time connecting with your team at a different level drives innovation, drives productivity, drives, um, at the end, financial performance.
0: So for the the boss that's listening to this today and they're saying, okay, that sounds great, but I am so opposite of that. How do I start this without looking like? I just read some book or I saw some video, and now I'm going to try to change, just like we do around New Year's resolutions, right? Oh, this is the year I'm going to lose some weight. And then, yeah, right.
2: Uh, Yeah. And it's usually, right. And it usually is based on some um, research or some new book that's come out. So they can totally blame it on me. I think all of your listeners should blame it on me. (laughs) And they can say, you know, I heard this author, Michelle Johnston, and I ordered her book on the seismic shift in leadership, because I really want to make sure that I'm effective as a leader right now in this new environment, this new way that we're we're all working and coming out of the pandemic, because we're never really going back to how things were. We're kind of reinventing how they could be, right? Mm-hmm. And so just blame it on me and say, so so what, she, what her research has shown is that the 80-20, I'm going to do it a little differently rather than me as the high leader, just talking, talking, talking the whole time. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to ask questions and get you all to talk and brainstorm. And at the end, then I'll talk. So switch the 80-20 rule. Um, another thing that you can do, I read a great article to Day in the Atlantic about how some introverts really don't like that, that question that I that I ask all my leaders. I said, look, I know you want to jump in on these Zoom team meetings, but could you just begin with some sort of question and just say, hey, where'd everybody go for Labor Day? I'd love to hear where you spent your time. Mm-hmm. And and just a question like that, um, one of the, the CEOs that I coach, he has me in on his team meetings and he has me ask the question. And so we're not talking about something that would be embarrassing or something that's too personal. We're just saying, hey, you know, there's, 10 people on the call, where'd y'all go for Labor Day? And the laughter and the levity that you get just builds camaraderie and it builds trust. And that is what you need today. So on LinkedIn, I saw this uh, five minute read um, from the Atlantic about some introverts don't really like to be put on the spot. Like, whoa, oh my gosh, you're asking me something that I'm not prepared for. So Mm -hmm. what you can do as a leader is just say, hey, the the next team meeting, we're talking about innovation and how we really need to rethink how we deliver patient care um, in, in this day and age. So will you come with just one suggestion or I really want to create an environment where, you know, you can take risks, even if you make a mistake. So come with, I'm going to share an example of, of how I took a risk and sometimes it wasn't the right path just to show you. And, and you can you share an example of the same? So one way you can do it is just to kind of prep them. I always like to ask questions that have to do with the topic, right? Yeah. So like I just said, if you're trying to innovate to improve revenue by 30% in healthcare, well, then let's ask a question, something about, you know, when was the last time you took a big risk and what was it? That's just to get people thinking about the topic at hand. Um, Tonight I teach my leadership class at Loyola and I do the same thing for them. It's a three hour class on a Monday night. We begin at 620 and we begin with the question of the evening uh, that relates to the topic. So tonight's topic is, um, it correlates with my book, it's Listening to Lead. And so we're gonna talk about the last time that you really felt heard and what that looked like, and then tell me about a boss who just would not listen and what were the consequences of that. So that's what we're talking about, is just asking questions about others. Um, One of the things I remember vividly as a kid growing up is my dad went to night school to try to finish his degree while he was working. And he had one of his books he had to read was Dale Carnegie's famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I was on my dad's gold study floor. I remember vividly um, gold shag carpeting. This was in the 70s. (laughs) And I take down his copy of Dale Carnegie. And I read the story about, I think it's the opening story about Dale Carnegie and his favorite dog growing up named Tippy. And he learned from this dog that you win more friends by showing interest in them than you could spend years trying to get them interested in you. And it doesn't work make sure you show interest in them, in them, and, 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 you know. I just, I'll never forget that story because I was in the middle of moving around thinking, oh my gosh, that's so true. And I had a dog. I love my dog because my dog was always interested in me, mm-hmm. you know, was excited to see me, interested in me. And I started thinking about some of the mistakes that I had made when I'd moved to a new city. If I spent too long talking about my other city, oh my gosh, Detroit, Michigan was the best place to live. I went snow skiing every weekend. The people were so nice. If I spent all my time talking about that, and not in my new city of Nashville saying, tell me about you all, tell me about your customs and traditions and show me your favorite places. I wanna get to know you. I would if, right, that's how you, that's how you make true meaningful connection. And those sorts of connections, when you're talking about workplace performance, those connections that you make with your people, that's what will get you the results that you want.
0: Uh, That's great. Well, the last question I have for you is thinking about now, we we I my hope anyway is we're on the other side of this pandemic. I guess it's always going to kind of be with us, but now you're right, the the whole landscape has changed and there's the battle between full-time back, hybrid, virtual, whatever it is. How will that affect the connection? And so for let's just say a CEO who is going to have a hybrid workforce where the, the workforce is spread all the time and there's not the big formal meetings all together. Are there any ideas that you might be able to share to help with that? Because it seems like this is going to really tear at some people's cultures, which in some cultures they should be torn up. But others that are already functioning, it's going to really shake them up. Any thoughts on what bosses can do in the new kind of
2: reality that we're in now? Absolutely. And you're right on every point you just made, Mac. Um, We're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. It's never going to go back to the way things were. So many employees are saying, hey, don't make me go into the office. I want." Even Juan Martin on the podcast said, yeah, at Mars, our corporate office, they told us they still want to work from home on Mondays and Fridays. We said, okay, Mm -hmm. But when you come into the office Tuesdays and Wednesdays, he said, we revamped our entire space so that it's much more collaborative. He said, Michelle, I don't even have an office door anymore because we realize that employees really found a lot of value in their flexibility and being able to focus on their families a little bit more, eat breakfast with their families and not commute, maybe pick up their kids from school, maybe see an after-school activity, and then work a little bit later at night. We want to give them that flexibility, and we want to capitalize on the time that they do choose to come into the office. We don't want them sitting in front of their computer the whole time alone in their, right, in in a closed office. We want to be more collaborative. So my clients are really really switching things up. Um, I spoke with a high high level leader at Salesforce.com where all the employees said, no, we still wanna work from home. So what they did instead is they, you know, kind of switched the money that they were spending on so many of their offices into corporate retreat centers. And so they said, once a quarter, we are gonna get together face to face and that's how we're gonna spend our money, not necessarily on rent, you can work from home, but we need to find ways to see each other it all goes back to that connection how in the world are we going to get the best out of our people the best ideas the best products to satisfy our customers if we're not connected so people are finding really embedding time quarterly if they're still working from home to say we need to be together and see each other so come to these offsites. Qualcomm also, I've been working with them. They did an incredible job Um, every quarter. They would fly their people out from all over the world um, to California. It is costly. And they would say, we're going to spend two days together because we're going to disrupt everything. And in order to disrupt, we have to get to know each other better.
0: Wow. Well, that's certainly an investment, but it sounds like it's going to have a pretty good return on it.
2: Oh, absolutely, and that's what we're seeing, Mac. It's, I call it the return on connection, the ROC. The return on connection is unbelievably high, but you have to embed time to do it. It has to be deliberate and it has to be intentional, and that would be my closing message to your listeners. You know, Now that you have a better understanding of what connection looks like, feels like, sounds like some examples, Please know that it really, we don't have as many organic opportunities anymore for meaningful connections. So you really have to be intentional about it, but it does pay off.
0: Well, then on that note, how can my listeners get a copy of that book? And maybe more importantly, how can they reach out to you for help, for coaching, for resources that can help them navigate this?
2: Absolutely. Happy to help. And the best way to get in touch with me is on my website, and it's www.com. Michelle with two L's, K, which stands for my maiden name, Kurtley, and then Johnston with the T. So it's M I C H E L L E K, J O H N S T O N dot com. And there's you can find ways to get the book. I have assessments on there, and of course you can contact me. And then all the podcasts that I've been on, and then the Seismic Shift podcast that I actually host. I really feel um, passionate about this, Mac. That that this is the way that the world of work is moving and, um, and we all need to get on board and it's better for all of us because it's just healthier. It's healthier for you as a human and it's just, we're creating healthier, happier work environments.
0: I agree. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this again, michellekjohnston.com to reach out, get a copy of the book. I hope that you will do that. Michelle, thank
2: you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Mac, I loved being with you. Thank you to the listeners.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years. And I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs, More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And, as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.